in parts of India, resistance to the gospel of Jesus is very organized. Aaron Miller says Hindu villagers are told what to do if they encounter Christians sharing their faith. Hey, if you see somebody with a backpack or with a bag and they're handing out things on the street and they're talking to people, call this number. And when they call, a mob will be assembled and they will come to that location and they will take the materials, they'll beat. And so there really is this nationwide kind of moral police force that can show up quickly and just just wreak havoc. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Last week here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, we were inspired by the courage shown by some of our brothers and sisters in the nation of Colombia. Aaron Miller recently returned from there, and he shared some of the stories he heard, including the story of a teenage girl who refused to join an armed guerrilla group because of her faith in Christ. If you missed that, you can hear it online at vomradio.net or just look for the VOM Radio podcast on your favorite podcast app. Aaron also returned from another trip, meeting with church and ministry leaders from all over India. That's where we're going to focus this week. Aaron is the regional director for Latin America and South and Central Asia here at The Voice of the Martyrs. Aaron, welcome back to VOM Radio. Thanks, Todd. It's always good to be here. Let's talk about India. The Last year, they had elections. Uh, Prime Minister Modi was re-elected for five more years. Prime Minister Modi comes out of the Hindu nationalist movement and wanting every Indian to be a Hindu. Some Indians are Christians, though. What What is all of this meaning for them, for those who are believers in Christ? Yeah, many of our listeners will know that it was a, a overwhelming victory for Prime Minister Modi and the political party that he's a part of. And so it really was sort of a mandate to say, keep going, go forward. He is leading the country and the party to continue down this path of really making India a Hindu nation, Hindutva is what they call it. And it is now to the point where a lot of our brothers and sisters that maybe haven't felt pressured in the past are really starting to feel the pressure. So it, so it has risen to a place of a lot of Christians, even in big cities now, are uncomfortable. I'm glad you mentioned big cities because, you know, we've talked about persecution in India before, but we typically think of it out in the village level. And, yes. you know, somebody in a village that's all Hindu becomes a Christian and the village says, wait a minute, we can't have this. They attack that person and say, hey, you, you can't be a Christian. You need to come back. Yes. But now we're talking about cities where there is law and order and there are policemen and, and the government is fully in charge. Absolutely. How is it that persecution is rising up in those places too? Well, there's a lot of things we're being told. Some of the things are shocking because having lived in India for several years, this is way different than the country I lived in. And, so, and it wasn't that long ago. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're being told that there are political representatives in every police station, 
every government office, in the military, in the media, private media and national media, state-sponsored media, their point of being in those places is to monitor what's the message coming out, what's happening in that office, what's happening in the police station. And so that is a huge shift. To have these eyes and ears all over the country is, is a very big deal right now. And again, you can imagine if you know that the purpose of that is India should be a 100% Hindu yes. country, and I'm not a Hindu, right. whether I'm a Christian or a Muslim or a Sikh or something else. That's right. If my government won't protect me anymore, what is my place? Talk a little bit, Aaron, about the Hindutva movement and what does it mean? How is it carried out? What what does that mean yeah. to especially again to our Christian brothers and sisters there? Yeah, some things that these leaders were able to share with us. This movement is very organized. They use the word sinister. It's more sinister than the West realizes. There is a real goal of doing away with three target groups, uh, Muslims, Dalits, and Christians. And that's the priority. They said that they feel like the first is the Muslim groups, and then it's going to be the Dalits, and then everything they've done prior to the, or in those two groups will be done to the Christians. And it is about just getting rid of anyone who claims to be those three things. We talked about Kashmir, where the government yes. came into a heavily Muslim area yep. and said, listen, Things are going to be different now. Absolutely. So the Christians watch that and they say, hey, down the road, this is going to happen to us? Oh, absolutely. They feel like Kashmir was an easy sort of test case for the prime minister and the political party because that's a place that hasn't had law and order for many, many years. It's always been a conflict zone and conflicts could flare up. And so they came in very heavy handed and, and really have a lot of control there now. But the Christian leaders, and these are educated men and women who travel around the world. They, they're connected to the West. They have degrees. They, they are bright, bright people. And they're telling us, no, this is coming. This is the plan. They are working this plan, and, and it's going to be difficult moving forward. The interesting thing to me is Prime Minister Modi now has been elected twice. He is keeping his campaign promises. We often criticize yes. politicians who don't keep their campaign promises. This is this is what he said he wanted to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he, you know, he has said it and others under him have said it. He's got some other voices. They might be a little bit more bold in their language. The chief minister of Uttar Pradesh state, the the home minister for India, you know, these are these are men who they will speak very clearly and directly about the plans moving forward in Hindutva. What about our brothers and sisters? What about the church? How you were just there with church leaders from India, from all over the country. How's the church responding? The church is growing. They said, don't think that any Amen. of this is working to stop the growth of the church. It's not stopping the spread of the gospel. People are still coming to faith. People are asking for Bibles. So these ministries are growing in, in their influence, in the people they reach, the, the regions they're reaching. They're planting new ministry centers. They're doing a lot of things. So that's, that's excellent. So they were very clear about that. But they did say that we've got to think differently now. We've got to think about how we get money, how we use money. Um, there's a lot of 
policies and rules that are coming down on ministries or NGO groups that are a faith-based, what we would call a faith-based charity. Anything they're trying to do with faith-based is being scrutinized very highly to the point one one leader, I think he was making a joke, it was hyperbole, but he said, if you receive donations and with those donations you buy a cow for a widow in a village and that cow gives milk and she gives milk to somebody that she shares the gospel to, they're going to say that whole thing was a religious exercise and you can't do it, so you just lost your your tax status, you just lost your, you know, accreditation or whatever and with the government. And so it's hyperbole, I think, but that's how they're feeling. So every dollar that is coming through any kind of a Christian organization is being watched. And they're and and they're saying they're watching it and they're saying you can't use this to convert people. So, so the, you know, the, the big idea is forced conversion. Right. Oh, the Christians are paying people to convert. You're forcing people to leave their religion. You're changing our culture. And that's really one thing they talked a lot about, too, is that the political party has a hand in the media, and they are influencing public opinion against Christians to think that, oh, well, those people, they just go into villages and pay poor people. They're just con- brainwashing uneducated, illiterate farmers and things like that. Which we wouldn't want to do. No. We wouldn't want anyone to do. You know, when you say it like that, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. They, they should watch out for that. Exactly. And that's probably what's happening. The people of India are saying, yeah, we want our government to not let that's people right. do that. That's right. The challenge and the question is, if you share the gospel with someone and they decide this is truth— and I don't want to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> did you just force them to convert, or did you just lay it out for them, and, and they chose? It's very interesting. Um, you know, for years they've been talking about this forced conversion, forceful conversion and, and anti-conversion laws. There's not one case that I'm aware of, and for years we've been tracking this, there's not one case I'm aware of where they have convicted someone on forcefully converting another person. There's been a lot of accusations. There's been a lot of legal cases no one has been convicted. Interesting. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And those laws exist right now at the state level in different states of India. I know one of them, if I understand it correctly, if you want to talk to someone about changing their religion, you need to go to the magistrate's office six months before you have that conversation and register with the magistrate. Hey, you know, next February, I'm going to be talking with Bill about his faith, and I just want to get a a, a sign-off from you. Ridiculous laws. Yes. Uh, But then, of course, if you sit down with someone and they come in and say, well, wait a minute, you didn't you didn't get the permit. You, That's right. You know, we're going to have to take you downtown. It was interesting. They were saying that the the anti-conversion laws, they're not really having any impact on the church. The, the, the church is still being faithful in India, sharing the gospel. People are receiving. They did say that is one prong in a multi-pronged strategy of hindering the church and just, just putting pressure on Christian leaders. So there's a variety of strategies, you know, watching the finances, having the tax office. You know, one one ministry brother just shared that they've had multiple visits, 10, 15 visits this year from the tax office to their headquarters just to audit the books and just to take up two or three days of their time 
on looking through the books, and that really hinders a ministry when they have to do things like that. So there's there's things like that happening. There's things in the villages that are still happening. And you can't say no when the tax office comes and says, exactly. "Hey, we all know that." Look at your books. You have to stop what you're doing. That's right. That's right. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Aaron Miller. He's the regional director for VOM in South and Central Asia and Latin America. We had him on recently talking about Colombia. If you did not hear that conversation, you can go to vomradio.net and listen to it now. Aaron, we, we talked about the fact that the church is still growing, and we talked about the fact that the church says, hey, things are going to get worse for us. How are both of those true? Because I would think it's not just Christians that know things are going to get worse for Christians. Sure. If I'm a Hindu and I know that, and you say, hey, why don't you become a Christian too? It seems like I would say, whoa, I don't, I don't want that. And yet— right. Yeah, the church is going forward. Yes, it it's going forward because it's the truth. One one lady looked me in the eye when I asked her, "Why did you change? Why you have so much trouble in your life now? Why did you become a follower of Jesus?" And she said, "That other message I was living according to wasn't true. I was in darkness and now I'm in light. Why would I go back? Why would I go back? Yeah." And I've never been a Hindu, so so this is not my personal testimony. But the the oppression of Hinduism, you know, there are millions of gods. If something is going wrong in your life, the first thing you need to do is figure out which of those millions of gods you have somehow offended. And then you need to figure out what that God demands to make it right with him. And you got to make sure in in making it right with him, you didn't offend one of the other gods. That's right. Because then they're going to bring trouble on your life. And to come into that mindset and say, there's only one God, <laughs> and you don't have to do anything. He did it He's for you. It. Right, right. I would just think the the peace would just wash over you That's of right. realizing, I can be free of all of that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Todd, we've talked to people who have said the peace that came when I made this decision was remarkable. And so that's exactly what happens. You know, it they they don't have peace when they're in that system, that belief system. And then when they're told and, and their heart really gets it and they become born again, there is peace, there's a new mindset, there's a new life that comes. And those are the people that you can't stop them from right. telling. You can't stop them from going to the village where their aunt lives or their cousins live or a, a classmate lives. They want to go and tell them. I want that to be true in the lives of more American Christians, Amen. that we're so excited about what God has done that you can't shut us up. We we have to tell. We yes. have to be witnesses of what we've seen and heard. Aaron, one of the things that, that I find interesting, and you mentioned it a little bit, is just this nationwide network of people who are watching for Christian activity. Yes. How does that work? What do they do when they see— you know, Pastor Bill comes and, and hands out Bibles in their village. Yeah. And then what happens to Pastor Bill after that? Yeah. We've been told there are representatives from the political party, the ruling political party, the BJP, and their more military-type wing, the RSS. They're represented in each village in the country. And that's an amazing number yeah. of villages. It, it's crazy. And something like 700 thousand or I don't know. It's just a, a phenomenal number of villages in the country. And they've got representatives in each of those. And they're watching and they're telling the villagers, hey, if you see somebody 
with a backpack or with a bag and they're handing out things on the street and they're talking to people, call this number. And so they've got basically kind of a helpline or crisis line, emergency number to call. And when they call, quickly a mob, really, a group of people will be assembled and they will come to that location and they will take the materials, they'll beat, they'll, I mean, they've beaten women and children. Um, I was talking to one evangelist and I don't understand why they're doing this now, but I think they're probably going to stop or have stopped already. He was saying that they would send out evangelistic teams with women and children. And, you know, we said, brother, is that wise? Should you do that? And he said, well, we're probably going to stop that now because children and women were being beaten by these mobs that would come. And so there really is this nationwide kind of moral police force that can show up quickly and just just wreak havoc. You think about just knowing that, and the church members know that, yep. you think about the courage that it takes to then say, well, I'm going to keep ministering. That's right. That's the that's the thing that's amazing to me. It's it one is. thing if, you know, you're sort of taken by surprise when persecution happens. They know persecution is going to happen. Yeah. And yep. they're still doing it. Yeah. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Aaron Miller. He is the regional director for South and Central Asia and Latin America here at Voice of the Martyrs. Aaron, when you go and you sit down with leaders like this and you hear their hearts and you hear about their work and you hear about the challenges that they're facing, what what happens in you? How, how do you respond to that? Oh, man, it's always convicting. It always challenges us to to think about how how do we love the lost, how do we share, how do we walk with the Lord during difficult times. So personally, it, it challenges me that way. I think it challenges our staff to to be creative, and we have to change some of the ways we're working. Aaron, you you talked about our staff, and what are what are the challenges right now? And obviously. There's probably many that you can't talk about on the radio because they have to do with security. Um, but what are some of the challenges for VOM to to respond in a country the size of India? Uh, the biggest one right now is how do we get resources in? How do we get financial resources into a man in a village in a far state, you know, Rajasthan state or wherever. You know, it's just very, very difficult. We we have a pretty good handle on verifying events now to know what's true. Things can sometimes get blown out of proportion or misreported. or So we've got a good handle on what the information we're getting, but now we just have to know how do we help them appropriately. And then, honestly, the biggest challenge our staff's going to have is how do we maintain fellowship with all these brothers and sisters? Because we don't want to just meet a need, an earthly need, uh, a physical need one time, and then them never see us again or never hear from us again. We want to be in fellowship. We want to know, um, are you staying in the faith? Are you staying involved in a local church? Are you growing? Uh, And so being able to do that, that's going to be our biggest challenge, I think, moving through this year. We're talking with Aaron Miller. He is just back from meeting with church leaders in India, talking about persecution there. Aaron this has to be sobering for these leaders as they see our government has turned against us. Uh, the people are turning against us. What was their spirit like or, or what was their sense of 
purpose and sense of ministry right now? Several of them confessed that when they came, when they arrived at the place we were meeting, they were heavy. It 2019 was a tough year with with not much hope of things getting better in 2020 in that case, you know, in, in the case of the pressure they're feeling. And so they came heavy. And at the end of our days together, they said, we feel very encouraged. We do feel the unity, the different creative ideas they're hearing other ministries are doing. So there was a heaviness at the beginning when we talked about the situation, how bad is it? And they definitely affirmed it was bad, like our staff was sensing. And then we kept talking through, well, creative things we could try, or what what could you do in this situation, or who has resources to answer that challenge? And they just began to talk and come together. There was a synergy that developed. And several of them said, I feel so much um, encouragement and love and peace moving forward now. I feel excited to go back, and we have some things we can try to do differently. There was a moment where, because of this situation, now we're seeing city churches are really being monitored more than they have been in the past. In the past, it was very rural. The the attack was rural. We've talked about that. But one city pastor looked around the tables at the men and women. He wasn't looking at me. He wasn't looking at my staff. He was looking at his brothers and sisters leading other ministries. And he said, we need to be prepared that some of us will go to prison in the future. And so there is a a resolve, there's a maturity that's coming, there's a, a strength and a dependence on the Lord that is growing. I, I think that's exciting. It is exciting, but it's also sobering. It is. As you think about that, listen, some of us around this table are probably going to go to prison. Yeah. That's that's a heavy thing uh, to carry forward. Aaron, as we finish up, we want to equip listeners to pray. Uh, we've talked a little bit about our staff and about our work and how people can pray for that. How can they pray for the broader church in India uh, during these heavy times? The brothers and sisters shared that the Indian church has not really grown to a place of, of generosity with their own. We unpacked that a little bit for some time together around those tables, and they said, this is, a, this is one thing that is going to be a byproduct of this. We're going to have to stop relying on the West so much financially. and Because the government won't let us. Exactly. <laughs> and so the Indian church, they believe, will become a more generous, a more compassionate to each other church. And, and they were kind of looking forward to that. Like, man, if, if the Lord could do that, that would be great. So... Todd, you think, I mean, the numbers we hear are anywhere from official numbers for India would be two, two and a half percent, all the way up to, I've heard, seven percent could be Christian. Those are big numbers in India just because of the population. You imagine a church with those kind of numbers that could be generous and compassionate, and what could they do around the world if they really caught a vision just for being, being so gracious and so giving? It could be amazing. And how would that change India? As the rest of India watched that, how would that impact the people around them? So we want to encourage you this week to pray, especially for the nation of India and for the church there. They are carrying a heavy burden. They are going through a heavy time. Uh, We want to support them in our prayers. Uh, Aaron, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your work, your willingness to 
get on planes and fly halfway around the world and meet with our brothers and sisters uh, and then come back and share the stories with us. Thanks for being with us on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate your work. You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As always, if you are just joining us and you caught just part of this conversation, you can hear the whole thing again at vomradio.net. You can also search for Voice of the Martyrs on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the VOM Radio podcast. We will be back next week as we continue to talk about what God is doing in hostile and restricted nations. Uh, I'm reminded as we talk about what the government is doing in India uh, of the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Uh, At the end of that story, Joseph tells his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And we pray that what Prime Minister Modi and the RSS intend for evil in India, God will turn to the good of our brothers and sisters there. I want you to join me this week in praying that prayer and join us again next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.